0: Listening to www.infinite smile Enjoy the Zen inspired talks given by Michael McAllister.
1: One of the very first times that I. Uh ever sat formally you know when I actually sat in a meditation group the uh, the person who was who was leading us in kind of the instruction um, was she asked the question or she told us that that basically much of this experience of sitting in meditation was shutting off the mind and she equated it to turning, like, the remote, you know, or if you have TiVo, doot you know, whatever, where we shut off the mind, where we actually stop the stream uh, very consciously. And, uh, and she said there are a series of ways that we can actually do this. One of them is um, uh, thinking of uh, uh, various questions that tend to stop us in our tracks. And one of the questions that she proposed kind of blew me away in the moment was what did your face look like before your parents were born and i remember th- the very first thing actually i thought of was okay well that's trippy that's uh, that's definitely something that would come out of some type of uh, you know uh, pot induced euphoria you know it's a little bit bizarre uh what would my face look like before my parents were born and then as i kind of let the question in this idea of there always being something prior to experience became very, very, very profound. And it was a, a, just a marvelous pointer. And uh, it really guided the first uh, you know, part of my practice in some pretty powerful ways. And I would just offer it up to you. If you think about the implications of what is always prior, what is always before, We can take ourselves very, very methodically and carefully to a source that continually offers us something quite beautiful. In other words, if you consider at the macro level, we look at 14 billion years of existence here, you know, that there was this big bang. I have no idea how they came up with 14 billion years. Um, But that's kind of cool. They also say it was on a Wednesday, but that's another issue. (laughs) (laughs) 14 billion years, okay, from nothing, something came. And to push you a little further on this, if you were to just consider that every single one of the atoms that makes up the cells, that makes up this body of yours, was there you are at a really deep physical level eternal now you've reconfigured a great deal since 14 billion years okay you didn't come out looking like this there's this thing called evolution that I tend to subscribe to that has kind of pushed us into this beautiful miraculous space where we can actually think about thinking we can actually consider our own experience. And there's a blessing and a curse here. Um, the blessing is that uh, there's so much to this experience that reveals and avails itself to us all the time. That's the blessing. The curse is there's so much that reveals and avails itself us itself to us all the time, that we can get paralyzed. We can get paralyzed, especially, and this is what the Buddha taught, by what hurts. Much of our pain, and every one of us in this room, has had profound pain. Some more than others. But in a relative sense, we've all all stared right into the gaping maw of hurt usually that's what spawns some type of spiritual work. It certainly was for me. All right? Um, so what, what happens is we start, we start to look at this, uh, this, this hurt. We start to look at this suffering. Um, because in our spacious consciousness, we don't have a choice but to kind of go through the experience or run from it. And there's some point when we can no longer run from it. We can anesthetize ourselves through, uh, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, food, uh, shopping, whatever, okay? But there comes a point where that road gets so rocky that we can't go any further. Now, plenty of us in this room might say, well, I'd like to at least try it out. You know, I'd like to drive on that road maybe a little bit further, whatever. And, then, you know, that, that might work. But this points to this really key aspect of the teaching, which is we can follow any road we're on to its source to what is prior to the road. Okay, once we get to the end of it, this gets trippy. Once we get to the end of it, we actually get to what's before the road to begin with. And what do we find? Peace. We follow our pain all the way to its source. And we find that underneath it all is peace. We take all of our thrill, our glory, the richness of our experience and follow it to its source. And we find that there is peace. We find that peace is always there. Always. Uncovering it becomes the task that meditation actually... Meditation is the shortcut to uncovering that. Meditation is what shows us what is prior. The stillness practice, when we just drop everything, and we begin to watch our mind, we begin to watch thoughts... Come out of nothingness and into somethingness, we watch the big Bang recreate itself in a little teeny microcosm all the time. Every time a thought is born, we're actually watching the big Bang. Every time we hear a baby laugh, or we hear a bird sing, something has come out of nothing. The big Bang. Reveals itself again. And is, this may sound really, really trippy. That's not the point. I mean, what I'm trying to do is give you, give you a sense of this depth, this connectivity that we all share. And when we let ourselves experience life fully, or sometimes it's forced on us fully, when this happens, we're given an amazing opportunity. We're, giving an, we're given an amazing chance to meet something beautiful. To meet that peace that's underneath everything that seems non-peaceful. <laughs> Instead of being bound by our suffering, we recognize that there is a way beyond the suffering And that way beyond the suffering, rather than running from it through uh, anesthetics, like I talked about, we meet it fully with our consciousness. And when we meet it fully with our consciousness, it no longer miraculously over time holds us in the ways it did before. This is what meditation is. It's not to escape it's to show up as fully as you can. And that way, my teacher used to describe it as full expression of ourselves. The full expression of ourselves is when we just sit still and begin to watch our minds. We begin to watch what the mind is doing. We begin to watch what the body is doing. We begin to listen to the messages that are being sometimes yelled and sometimes whispered in our experience. We become the watcher of this experience And guess what that watcher, that witness, that seer, guess what it looks like? It looks like the face you had before your parents were born. So one time I was listening to this Dharma talk, by this teacher who was particularly irascible. It was kind of a grouchy, um, straight-talking, cut-to-the-chase type lady that I really, really liked. I thought she was... Uh, she, she There was something just kind of special about her, even though she, she didn't exude... Um, uh, kind of the grandmotherliness that I was craving when I was starting my practice. When I was first starting my practice, I wanted someone to tell me that everything was going to be okay, that my... uh, I wanted them to uh, coddle me, um, inflate my self-esteem. You know, I wanted... I I wanted to be kind of held in this process. uh, And then... She kind of came along, and I realized that was precisely what I didn't need. If what I wanted was to awaken beyond suffering, the Buddha taught suffering and freedom from suffering. Okay, those that—that's kind of like the big, the big mush book there, the big deal. And if I—if uh, I was going to have someone kind of coddle me through this. I was never going to have the heat turned up appropriately, and I was never going to really evolve. I was never going to go past what I needed to go past, which was indeed, I needed to go beyond that sense of self worth, that sense of me ness. Instead, I needed to go what was prior to that, what was before that. I needed to be able to experience that whole idea of. What my face looked like before my parents were born if anything was going to happen so this lady comes along and says uh, she's from New York it all starts with forgiveness. everything starts with forgiveness you just got to get there you got to get there you gotta you gotta forgive yourself and everybody else and we're kind of listening to that and going it starts with forgiveness huh and then the question was i thought it was really cool so what are you hanging on to because hanging on is the opposite of forgiveness does this make sense right so she was actually going at this teaching i think in a really cool way it was in a certainly a way that westerners could uh, could digest real easily you know having been uh, she i guess she was if i'm not mistaken she was a trader on Wall Street or something like that for a while and then decided to become Zen Master, which is pretty much the path, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so, this idea of forgiveness, letting go, and then weaving that back into the, you know, the Buddha taught suffering and then the end of suffering, here are the causes to suffering, here's the end of suffering, the cause to suffering is clinging the end of suffering is non-clinging or forgiveness and this suddenly started to coalesce into this i mean it just started to make sense in a really really powerful way she was offering up the path in decidedly um, western terms free from many of the cultural trappings that i had grown kind of accustomed to in the uh, buddhist tradition it was it was a very interesting shift and so I wanted to offer this up as we approach uh, Hanukkah starts tomorrow night and um uh oy. and uh we've got Christmas then of course this next week we're in full full swing here for the uh season of consumption um, <laughs> and love but uh I think this idea of forgiveness becomes a very, very powerful, powerful message uh, for us at any time, but especially now. And if we can begin to let it in, this idea of forgiveness, of self and other, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, to go uh, Christian on you there for a second, um, all sorts of miraculous things can begin to unfold, it appears. Um, at the very beginning of our meditation, I kind of talked you in a little bit to this idea of. At the very beginning of our meditation, I kind of talked you into this idea of uh, looking at your bodily experience fully. Where are you holding? You can do that right now as I'm talking. Where are you holding? Can you find any aspect of your experience, your physical experience, right now, where there's there's gripping? Maybe it, maybe showing up as a, you know some lumbar pain or something like that. Um, it might be somewhere else. It might be your heart. There might be an, a heartache. Um, that can sometimes be the most obvious, most painful, and also the most powerful thing to get us into spiritual work. Regardless, that holding that you have within your body is non-forgiveness. And I'm not trying to put this on some like weird esoteric level. I'm just saying that there's holding there in our bodies. Our bodies have wisdom to them. And uh, we will find oftentimes that the part of us that's gripping most tightly, it's experienced physically. Going to that with our full awareness can be a really, really powerful practice. Uh, and so this then begs the the other question what is it that you're holding on to are you holding on to a memory are you holding on to a judgment are you holding on to some future plan that you've got going Letting go of all of this without negating any of it, but just kind of letting it go, that's the non holding. I say this a great deal, but just listen very, very carefully here. If, for instance, you're dealing with some type of past thing that you just can't forgive yourself for something, I'm making it up, but let's just say you're in that space, you cannot forgive yourself for something, you're holding on to it, I can't forgive, but then you decide, okay, I'm going to forgive. And you just push it away and look to something else. We essentially sweep it under the rug. It does not disappear. It only allows for us to trip on the rug when we walk across it. So we have to actually begin to look at it very, very, very carefully. We have to be there for it. In all of its various permutations and manifestations, we're just right there. It becomes an object... Of Meditation, just like our body became an object of meditation for us at the beginning of tonight 's work, beginning of the sitting. How about your judgments, your convictions? these are really good i mean it 's cool to kind of have convictions okay unless they begin to distort the way we can participate in the world and unless our convictions actually become sources uh, of fuel for our ability to harm other people. I was uh, going by a, a, a protest in Berkeley, the Occupy. I was going through... I may have mentioned this. If I, if I said this in a previous talk, forgive. Um, sometimes I loop. Uh, <laughs> but... I, I remember uh, I was walking there uh, through Sproul and I I heard some of the most and saw some of the most beautiful expressions of forgiveness on the part of not only the police officers, but also the people trying to maintain order and tear down tents, uh, but also the people who were trying to, you know, make a statement in protest. Both sides had both non-forgiveness and forgiveness, that I got to see. It was quite amazing. These opinions or convictions were being held, and the more they were being held, the uglier things got. Another way of making things ugly is denying a conviction. That's just clinging to something else, right? So instead, when we can actually be with our convictions... And we can loosen our attachment to them a little bit. Suddenly they become guides as opposed to absolutes. And guides aren't things that we can cling to as easily as an absolute truth. Let's consider future. At some point in time, most people get to a point where it's like, huh... I don't feel like I'm where I should be and I want to be at X, Y, or Z point within the next five years. Here's my five-year plan. Here's what I'm going to do. And then suddenly it's five years later. We look back and it's like, what the f... How, How did I miss? What happened? Right? Here again, we're looking at a situation where we're not forgiving. We're clinging. We're clinging to... Some future orientation. And that clinging to future tends to elicit all sorts of stress in our experience because we're grasping onto some type of experience that hasn't happened yet. And we're making sure we do, we're doing all the things to get there. Some of us are very successful at doing this, by the way. Okay? Making sure we do all the things we can to get there. And then when we don't get there, there's all this non forgiveness, there's all this clinging, there's all this guilt which is just anger directed inwards. Stress, guilt, negativity, anxiety, all that stuff can come from that. Same thing when we cling to our convictions, when we cling to some past memory that's haunting us. And so the work here is to actually loosen our hold on each of these aspects of our experience. And in doing so, what happens is there's a lightness that automatically and spontaneously begins to come from that opening. When we can accept what is, as opposed to fighting what is, keep thinking of salmon. You know how salmon, they're like, huh, waterfall? I got this. You know, And we can live like that, but what happens to the salmon? It croaks, it goes back to where it was born and then just dies after it fertilizes its eggs. Kind of an amazing way to die. I think I will procreate and then die after I swim up this waterfall. We don't have to live in that way. Instead, what we can do is actually accept the flow of this life. And accepting the flow of this life, a certain clarity arises that allows for us to look at this flow and see what obstructs it. I've shared this a great deal before, but it's like life flows and it tends to rage, it tends to rush, right? Right? And there are all these blockages and so forth that in this flow, in this stream of life, knock us into these eddies off to the left or to the right of this particular stream that we are living. Okay? And when we slow down in meditation, when we slow down, we suddenly develop this clarity. This clarity allows us to choose. We can choose to either go this way Or that way. This clarity allows us to move the stuff that's obstructing the free flow. We can slow down so that we can actually see to the bottom of life's flow. And this stream is actually something that we can then take care of. We don't fight, we begin to relax into this state of being that is simultaneously at rest and yet very dynamic and very powerful. As you guys know, a river can carve grooves in rocks and stone. Similarly, when we begin to live a life that starts to steady itself through forgiveness, through non-clinging, all sorts of great stuff can begin to arise. Slowing down is key. I had a great experience... um, with uh, with an old friend and um, uh, his sister and his sister's friend. We all went skiing up to uh, Heavenly Valley. Okay. We were, uh, I'm guessing this would have been about 13, 14 years old. And um, this guy... He happened to be like the world's great. He was like the quintessential dad. I thought he was just like the coolest guy. And when you're 14 years old, you're obsessed with like cool. And what was it that was cool about him? Well, first of all, he had the coolest cars to drive every like two or three years. That was like one thing. One thing I thought was really cool. The other thing was he had style. Okay. He just had kind of this quiet, sophisticated style about him okay he was very successful uh very successful attorney and uh i remember he was he was one and i had a great connection with him he was also he coached me in basketball from the time i was like um i guess i was in second or third grade all the way through i mean he and he was just this amazing coach he would say things like michael i want you to think one thing smooth as butter you go up for a layup smooth as butter I'm like okay thank you <laughs> And I sucked at basketball, but he was right there with me all the time, all the time, smooth as butter. He'd always give me some mantra. He was his Zen master. He just didn't know it. And then there was this, uh, this experience where, um, uh, you know, I'm, going, I'm skiing, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and I come down off the mountain, and we're all going to have dinner. And, and he notices me if we'd been together, I guess this is two or three nights by this point. And I, coming from a family of four boys, um, our goal was to eat as fast as possible, because then you got fed. And so, mom would like put the stuff out in the middle, and the next thing you know, it was like you know, just everybody would dig in. And, and being the oldest, the highest on the food chain, literally, um, I would make sure that I, I consumed as much as I could, as quickly as I could. Anyway, uh, my buddy's uh, father says to me as he's watching me go through like each meal this way, he says, "You know, Michael." I want to think about slowing down when you eat and I immediately thought oh God I let this guy down I was showing bad manners or something and I said I'm sorry he says, oh no 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 don't be sorry let me tell you why when you slow down you can savor and when you savor life is a little different and then he went on and kept eating and I remember just saying whoa man that is just like the coolest thing and essentially, what was he saying? He's talking about forgiveness, wasn't he? He's talking, to me, he's talking about opening. As things are, becoming gracious as an expression of your day-to-day. It wasn't about sustenance. It wasn't about making sure I got fed. The universe is going to provide everything any of us needs to awaken... And he kind of came at it in that way, in a really, really beautiful and profound way. It stuck with me for my whole life. So when I start eating too fast, I think of him. Um, One of the ways we can really kind of have those reminders for uh, ourselves is to check in with our bodies. Feel what the inner body is doing, always. Always. During your day, just check in. Hmm. How am I feeling? Where is non forgiveness in my body? Where is there holding? This deep attention is the birth of forgiveness. It's also the birth of awakening. Attending to where we are fully. Having an unheld, attentive awareness, so to speak, to what's going on allows for us to savor, allows for us to recognize how precious this life experience really is, even when it's ugly, even when it gets dark. There's a light that never goes out that we can actually allow to guide us continually Happy Hanukkah. Got a few minutes for Q&A. Stan.
0: I was... uh... How does enlightenment fit into forgiveness and
1: awakening process. How does enlightenment fit into forgiveness and the awakening process? I would say that forgiveness actually spurs on enlightenment and the awakening process. Okay? So at forgiveness, when you can forgive yourself and others, you can let go that awakening is a very natural spontaneous byproduct of that action and then your question is really cool because it begs a secondary question which is what is awakening what is enlightenment and there are all sorts of ways that people have defined it i think traditionally it's been when we go and we disidentify we no longer cling to the content of our minds suddenly we're enlightened And I would say that there is a a secondary piece to that, especially in the way that I'm kind of throwing this stuff at you. It's, yeah, we start to disidentify with body and with mind. We begin to let, you know, we understand the body as an experience and the mind as an experience. And then there's the experiencer, which is beyond both. We kind of go into that emptiness. But then from that emptiness... We integrate and engage it into this somethingness we call me. So we go to the mountaintop, so to speak, recognize the fullness of that view, and then we come home back down the mountaintop. We've not taken any shortcuts, but we come back home, and in so doing, we're able to integrate that view into our day-to-day, and we become continual expressions of love and generosity. Not just for self, but for other. In other words, if we are just generous to other people, we've, we've messed up because we're not included. Right? We start seeing that it's all one thing. And it's many things. We're going to participate fully in that one and that many. Through this open, continual, engaged, awakened space. Or if I were going to make it really, really simple, we recognize that we let go of everything and then participate fully in the world from that surrendered space. Does that kind of make sense? I'm going to think about it. Don't think too hard. <laughs> <laughs> so i got to let what said sink in and just kind
0: of, I may not understand right now, but I think like, Good. tomorrow
1: I'll be like, oh yeah, that's what I meant. Awesome. Yeah, this basically everything I'm giving you, time release. <laughs> It's like vitamin C, time-release vitamin C. It's, this is time-release dharma. <laughs> dharma in a pill. Wouldn't that be cool? How do
0: understand the connection between savoring the moment and forgiveness?
1: The connection... What's the connection between savoring the moment and forgiveness? Savoring—you cannot savor without being open. The minute the minute you cling, it's no longer sa- savoring; it's coveting. Right? <laughs> Have you ever had like a meal that's so good, like you're you're only into your second or third bite, and you're like, I'm gonna order another one. You know? You know what I mean? that's not savoring that's that's being covetous you know <laughs> and so going beyond that what we do is is we essentially then begin to allow whatever it is we participate in whatever dance we're doing whatever we're you know whatever our experience is we begin to kind of relax into it a little bit more we're no longer fighting it we're no longer swimming upstream we're actually right in the flow we are the flow and as a result what happens? Open to it's, we are open. We are, we, we are forgiveness. We are an embodied forgiveness. We're not defended. There's nothing to go to war with, least of all self or other, you know? Mm-hmm. And it allows us to participate in every aspect of our life, even the ones that are most clinging, sticky, like politics, for instance, or something like that. We can do it in a way that is a continual manifestation of love, as opposed to war. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Oh, um, or were you just bowing for the hell of it? That's awesome. But I do have a question. You know, far away, Dan. Okay. Although, feel free to bow whenever you want. Okay. Just, nice. Yeah. nice to see you. By the way, I dare, if we run into each other in town, I dare you to do that.
0: <laughs> I thought about
1: that. Because I, I, what I'll do is I'll just, like, do a Vegas bow or something like that. Do a curtsy.
0: <laughs> um, my my son has been asking me this question once in a while. Well, not really. It's not a question, but it's a statement. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I've come up with you know things to respond to him. But I thought you might have a, some insight into it as well. So he tells me um, he doesn't want to die. Right. You know he's six. Um, and I come up with kind of like. Uh, well, all things die. You know, it's part of existence and blah, blah. So what's I bet your...
1: that goes over really well. Right. <laughs> it's part of existence, okay, son. Oh, I've thanks. Watched. Screw you, Dad. <laughs> no, let's
0: go play soccer.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's go play soccer, right.
0: Uh, just yeah. generally that kind of situation mm-hmm.
1: and how, you know. The whole death question for kids? Yeah. Uh, I can only say from personal experience um, how it is going right now in, in my conversations because... Uh, my four-year-old's kind of in that space. Mm -hmm. And what she and I, she she has been asking similarly, you know, she said, I don't want to die. I don't want you to die. I don't want mommy to die or dog to die. You know, she's, and I go, yeah, boy, I understand. I really understand. I don't want, I don't want you to die. And I don't want any of those people to, I don't want my, I don't want to die, you know, but guess what? It's the way things are. You know how the flowers, They bloom and then they die and so forth. I said, that's the way everything is. And she's kind of like, yeah, okay, uh uh-huh, I get that. But, Daddy, it doesn't take away the pain. Is kind of the subtext of much of where her responses go. And then I say, can I ask you a question? And this has been surprisingly helpful. And it blew me away that it even got some traction. But it was, if we know we're going to die, how does that mean we should live? and and i was i was utterly utterly baffled by how she then immediately kind of shifted gears and it's like you know it 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 seemed to tweak something in her our conversation shifted into all the things we want to do before we die and then i mean i know that's a cliche but it was just it was really kind of a cool thing so i don't know how you broach that really skillfully well, I, I,
0: I certainly wasn't as skillful with the second part. Well, I
1: think it. I'm making myself sound really good, but uh, it wasn't that good.
0: Instead of instead of, instead of broaching a question, I said, "Well, we should, you know, live life to the fullest because we are going to die." Right. Which, you know,
1: I mean, the other if option You tell a
0: kid something, they're not going to yeah. probably uh,
1: I mean, the other option is just saying, "Yeah, it sucks, doesn't it?" Pass the salt. You know, you could do that. That's a total joke. I had two people laugh at that. Thank you very much. Helpful hints for children. (laughs) Yeah, all kidding aside, I do think that it's a, it's a, just, um, it worked, all I can say is it worked for me, kind of. Now, she still, she still trips on it, you know, very natural developmentally for a kid to go into that space. And you know what? It's what we're doing here. We are rehearsing our own death every single time that we sit still. And hopefully that is something that actually is, you know, we, we cogitate continually. We're always in that space of kind of like, okay, knowing that there's, a, there's finitude here, how am I going to make sure that I incorporate the infinite into what time I have remaining? And then we go into that beautiful Sufi statement, you know, die before you die, and then you don't die live well, live with forgiveness, as forgiveness. And it all kind of takes care of itself. That means we get to that point. And I can't wait on one really kind of weird level to get to that point right before, right before, when I know it's over, Mm -hmm. and then I can look back and kind of go, I hope, oh, that was awesome. Thunk. You know, and it may not be pretty, may not be pretty, but to at least stack the cards in all of our favor, so that we do this thing called life as fully as we can in the midst of all the muck, in the midst of all the loss and the pain, in the midst of all this stuff. It becomes an incredibly inspiring thing to actually live through our darkness from a place of forgiveness. It sounds simple. It's not. It's, well, no. It is simple. It's not easy. <laughs> right? But what a gift. What a gift we can give to each other. You know. And our children. Report back. I'm really interested in how this conversation goes.
0: Well, Michael said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Son, listen to this podcast. <laughs> What does my face look like before... Daddy, stop! (laughs) What did my face look like before you were born? (laughs) 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 Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: So, the thought of death makes you go the other way. It can... You say, I'm going to die anyway, so why am I... What am I doing all this for? Right. Or it can make you become scared and mm-hmm. say, um, I, I, I don't want to face
1: it. I don't face it shrinks it. us yeah. or it opens us. Now, the offering, though, with the fact that there is a, a finite amount of time that we have, gives us this beautiful choice. We get to choose. You get to choose your reaction to right. it. And if,
0: you, if your inclination is to, to run away, mm-hmm. how does that help you?
1: It doesn't. If you're inclina- In a way
0: you have to choose to embrace it?
1: Well, the only reason I don't like the word embrace is because it's a kind of grasping. Okay.
0: Well,
1: so, in other words, if our tendency is to run away, okay, and that, that's grooved in culturally, familially, you know, we have all sorts of reasons why we might be grooved into one uh, style or other. If our tendency is to avoid, this practice is especially challenging. Because this practice is all about non-avoidance. It's about facing everything with your full attention. And that's what meditation is. Meditation is a chance to escape and avoid. Meditation is the forced apprehension of exactly what's going on in this moment as this moment is unfolding. Does this make sense? And that's exactly why we practice. We practice so that our habitual tendency to turn right now doesn 't work anymore, we have to turn left, and this adjustment is huge. Beginning practitioners find this to be unbearable in some respects, absolutely unbearable, and so they can 't stick with it it 's a very very common common situation. Other people find it and i hate to i 'm not trying to dare anybody here, but other people really have this deep commitment this fire this strength and this fearlessness that have coalesced into this perfect beautiful storm that allows for them to just suddenly go and they continue and they continue and they continue and then they realize they've gone so far that they can't really turn back because they're no longer going to fit into those old clothes so to speak metaphorically and they keep going and they keep going and what do you know next thing you see is a life has changed it's opened rather than closed because of the fear of death or anything else or the fear of loss of self, other, mind uh, reputation livelihood, whatever instead of being closed down by that they actually become opened to it and as that begins to happen a life begins to resonate and touch others effortlessly
0: so what would advice would you give to those people who, say, who can't live life, who can't say hello because of goodbye? Because the trouble with hello is goodbye. Exactly. And they, so they, they don't even want to try the hello part because they want to avoid the goodbye part. Right, they want to avoid the... Right, so what's the... Uh... My,
1: my, my uh, uh, advice to someone who doesn't want to say hello because they know they're going to have to say goodbye is you're going to say goodbye anyway. So you may as well say hello along the way. No sense in dining alone all the time. Right? Risking in the midst of the knowledge that there will be that ultimate loss is exactly what makes a life colorful. It's exactly what enriches our experience. And that's exactly actually, what the Buddha, the Christ... And everybody in between taught. Contemporary and ancient sages alike. They're all pointing this direc- direction. They're basically saying, Hey, <laughs> let's go. You know? This life is an incredibly beautiful thing, even when it's not pretty. And when it's pretty, it's especially cool. But underneath it all, where that, uh, uh, we're able to see the visage of that face... And what it looked like before the Big Bang? What do we see? We see eternity, and we know we're a part of it. Okay, as is everybody else. And that dance is the dance of the cosmos. It's the dance. It's just utterly breathtaking. And there's peace there.
0: You need the courage to, to plunge into it.
1: You do. And you know what? there isn't a person alive who doesn't have it. They just may not know it. So what gets them there? Usually when all else fails. Or, you can get there before all else fails, and that's usually a little bit more comfortable. Yes? Um,
0: Just a question. Where does compassion fit in with?
1: forgiveness. Uh compassion is the um I would say the byproduct of an embodied forgiveness. Does that make sense? The byproduct. It's in other words and sometimes I look at it this way. Um the wisdom that occurs when we recognize that we're all connected and that this whole thing we've been clinging to, this the the I, me, mine, you know, the stickiness of the ego, the small self, mind, whatever you want to call it. Whenever we're in that space, okay, and then we realize, oh my God, that's only one tiny single part of this vast experience called self. When we disidentify with all those that clinging, when we forgive, if you will, all of it what happens is that any activity that is sourced consciously from that place of surrender is compassion. And we can look at compassion as being love without the hate. If you've ever noticed that you you love someone and then you can turn on a dime, then it's like, "Mm," you know, now you're at war with them. That's not love. That's egoic negotiation. And basically, it's just neuronal firings that are kind of masking themselves. We've labeled as love. Love is as deep as the ocean. We have the gok negotiation, the romantic. That's kind of cool. It's tasty. We can savor that, right? And then the other kind of love is the big, all-encompassing, oh, my goodness gracious. There is enough space in this heart for the whole of humanity. That kind of love. Big love or small love. smoochy love. You know? Covetous love. And that big love is compassion. It's an open tenderness. It's where we reach out to help someone regardless of what their past is. We just reach out. Happy holidays to everyone. Thank you for coming tonight.